Section 14 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 4 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 53 The Fenian Movement, Part 2. In the United States, we do not say in Canada, the differences between Irishmen of different religions and factions have not much interfered with their views on purely Irish questions. Dislike of England, or at least of English governments, prevails among many Irishmen from the northern province settled in the United States, who assuredly, if they had remained at home, would have brought up their children in devotion to English rule and the traditions of the House of Orange. But of course, the vast, the overwhelming majority of the Irish in America is made up of men who have come from the provinces of Leinster, Munster, and Connacht, and whose anti-English sentiments have only become stronger and stronger in proportion to the length of time and distance that divided them from their old home. If it were to be distinctly declared that every Irishman in the United States was in his heart an enemy of England, there might probably be found instances enough the other way to discredit the literal accuracy of the assertion. But we know with what contempt Dr. Johnson spoke of the literal accuracy, which replied to the statement that a certain orchard contained no fruit by showing that it actually had three apples and four pears. To all who do not insist on that sort of accuracy, it will be proper to say that speaking generally, all the Irish population in the United States is animated by feelings of hostility to English dominion in Ireland. Filled with this feeling, the Irish and the States made their political organizations the means of keeping up a constant agitation, having for its object to secure the cooperation of American parties in some designs against England. One of the great political parties into which the northern states were divided made it a part of their electioneering business to conciliate the Irish vote in the populous cities. They professed great affection for Ireland and sympathy with Irish grievances. They gave the word of order to their American followers to patronize the Irish. Their leaders were often to be seen on the platform at Irish meetings. The municipal authorities of some of the great towns took part in the Irish processions on St. Patrick's Day. More than once, the American mayor of an American city exhibited himself arrayed in garments of green on that anniversary. The Irish vote was at one time absolutely necessary to the Democratic Party in the States, and the Democratic Party was ready to give a seeming countenance to any scheme which happened for the moment to allure the hopes of the Irish populations. After the Civil War, the feelings of almost all the political parties in the states, in the south as well as in the north, were hostile to England. At such a moment and under such a condition of things, it cannot be a matter of surprise if the hopes of the Irish populations were excited to the highest degree. The confidence felt by so many persons in this country that the Alabama controversy had been dropped forever by American statesmen had not the slightest support from the bearing or resolve of any of the great American parties. It is quite easy to imagine a condition of things just then which would have led a light-hearted American president 
to try to bring together all classes of the american population in a war against england the length of the almost indefensible canadian frontier line would have given america the immense advantage of being able to choose her own battleground such a war would at one time have been welcomed with enthusiasm all over the states the objections of calm and cautious minds would have been borne down and swept away in a very wave of popular passion it is not surprising if under such circumstances many of the fenian leaders in america should have thought it easy to force the hand of the government and to bring on a war with england at all events it is not surprising if they should have believed that the american government would put forth little effort to prevent the fenians from using the frontier of the united states as a basis of operations against england the civil war had introduced a new figure to the world stage this was the irish american soldier he had the bright humorous countenance of the celt with the peculiar litheness and military swagger of the american boy in blue he had some of the american shrewdness grafted to his irish love of adventure in thousands of cases he spoke with an american accent and had never set foot on the soil of that ireland from which his fathers came and which to do him justice he loved with a passion at once romantic and sincere he might have fought for the north or he might have fought for the south he might have ranged himself under the colours borne by thomas francis maur maur of the sword or he might have followed the fearless lead of pat cleburne perhaps he was one of the irish brigade who joined in the desperate charges up the heights of fredericksburg or perhaps he was one of the equally brave men who successfully held those heights for the south it was all the same when the interests of ireland came to be concerned he was ready to forget all differences in companionship on that question many of these men thousands of them were as sincerely patriotic in their ways as they were simple and brave it is needless to say that they were fastened on in some instances by adventurers who fomented the fenian movement out of the merest and meanest self-seeking men swaggered about union square new york as fenian leaders who had not the faintest notion of risking their own valuable lives in any quarrel more dignified than a bar-room row in the sixth ward the big sixth of new york some were making a living out of the organization out of that and apparently nothing else the contributions given by poor irish hack drivers and servant girls in the sincere belief that they were helping to man the ranks of an irish army of independence enabled some of these self-appointed leaders to wear fine clothes and to order expensive dinners of course something of this kind is to be said of every such organization it is especially likely to be true of any organization got up in a country like america where the field of agitation is open to everybody alike with little of authority or prescription to govern the taking of places but in the main it is only fair to say that the fenian movement in the united states was got up organized and manned by persons who however they may have been mistaken as to their ends and misguided as to their means were single-hearted unselfish and faithfully devoted to their cause it is necessary that this should be said somewhat emphatically 
for the mind of the english public has always been curiously misled with regard to the character of the fenian organization in this as in other instances the public conscience of england has too often been lulled to sleep by assurance that all who reject the english point of view must be either fools or knaves and that there is no occasion for sensible men to take any account of their demands or their protestations it may be well too to emphasize the fact that the plans of the fenians were not by any means the fantastically foolish projects that it is the custom here to believe them they resembled in some respects the projects of the polish insurgents which we have described in another chapter of this work like the polish schemes they were founded on calculations which did not turn out as might have been expected but which nevertheless might very easily have come right the polish rebellion was started in the hope that some of the european powers would come to the help of poland and no european power did come to its help but there was at one time as we know now a very great chance indeed that such help would be strongly given the fenian rising was inspired by the hope that the united states and england would be at war and we know now that they were more than once on the very verge of war it is we believe quite certain that the officers were already named by the american authorities who were to have conducted an invasion of canada those who did not happen to have known america and american life in the days shortly after the close of the civil war can have hardly any idea of the bitterness of feeling against england that prevailed then all over the states in the south just as much as in the north if the english government had peremptorily and absolutely rejected the idea of arbitration with regard to the alabama claims at any time between eighteen sixty five and eighteen sixty eight it is all but certain that america would have declared war an american invasion of canada would have made a fenian rising in ireland a very different trouble from that which under the actual conditions it afterwards proved to be meanwhile there began to be a constant mysterious influx of strangers into ireland they were strangers who for the most part had celtic features and the bearing of american soldiers they distributed themselves throughout the towns and villages most of them had relatives or old friends here and there to whom they told stories of the share they had had in the big wars across the atlantic and of the preparations that were making in the states for the accomplishment of irish independence all this time the fenians in the states were filling the columns of friendly journals with accounts of the growth of their organization and announcements of the manner in which it was to be directed to its purpose after a while things went so far that the fenian leaders in the united states issued an address announcing that their officers were going to ireland to raise an army there for the recovery of the country's independence of course the government here were soon quite prepared to receive them and indeed the authorities easily managed to keep themselves informed by means of spies of all that was going on in ireland the spy system was soon flourishing in full force every considerable gathering of fenians had amongst its numbers at least one person who generally professed a yet fiercer devotion to the cause than any of the rest and who was in the habit of carrying to dublin castle every night his official report of what his fenian colleagues had been doing it is positively stated that in one instance a protestant detective in the pay of the government 
actually passed himself off as a catholic and took the sacrament openly in a catholic church in order to establish his catholic orthodoxy in the eyes of his companions one need not be a catholic in order to understand the grossness of the outrage which conduct like this must seem to be in the eyes of all who believe in the mysteries of the catholic faith meanwhile the head centre of fenianism in america james stevens who had borne a part in the movement of eighteen forty eight arrived in ireland he was arrested in company of mr james kickham the author of many poems of great sweetness and beauty a man of pure and virtuous character stevens was committed to richmond prison dublin early in november eighteen sixty five but before many days had passed the country was startled by the news that he had contrived to make his escape the escape was planned with skill and daring for a time it helped to strengthen the impression on the mind of the irish peasantry that in stevens there had at last been found an insurgent leader of adequate courage craft and good fortune stevens disappeared for a moment from the stage in the meantime disputes and dissensions had arisen among the fenians in america the schism had gone so far as to lead to the setting up of two separate associations there were of course distracted plans one party was for an invasion of canada another pressed for operations in ireland itself the canadian attempt actually was made a small body of fenians a sort of advanced guard crossed the niagara river on the night of may thirty first eighteen sixty six occupied fort erie and drove back the canadian volunteers who first advanced against them for a moment a gleam of success shone on the attempt but the united states enforced the neutrality of their frontier line with a sudden energy and strictness wholly unexpected by the fenians they prevented any further crossing of the river and arrested several of the leaders on the american side the canadian authorities hurried up reinforcements several fenians were taken and shot others recrossed the river and the invasion scheme was over then stevens came to the front again it was only for a moment he had returned to new york and he now announced that he was determined to strike a blow in ireland before long the impression was spread abroad that he had actually left the states to return to the scene of his proposed insurrection the american irish kept streaming across the atlantic even in the stormy winter months in the firm belief that before the winter had passed away or at the farthest while the spring was yet young stevens would appear in ireland at the head of an insurgent army not many surely of those actually living in ireland could have had any faith in the possibility of such a movement having even a momentary success on irish soil all who knew anything of the condition of the country must have known that the peasantry was unarmed and utterly unprepared for any such attempt that the great majority of the populations everywhere were entirely opposed to such wild enterprises that the catholic clergy especially were endeavouring everywhere to keep their people back from secret organizations or insurrectionary scheme but the irish americans who made their way into ireland were for the most part not acquainted with the condition of the country and it was owing to their presence and their influence that at length an attempted rebellion was actually made stevens did not reappear in ireland he made no attempt to keep his warlike promise he may be said to have disappeared from the history of fenianism 
but the preparations had gone too far to be suddenly stopped many of his followers were filled with shame at the collapse of the enterprise on which they had risked so much and they were impatient to give some sign of their personal energy and sincerity it was hastily decided that something should be done one venture was a scheme for the capture of chester castle the plan was that a sufficient number of the fenians in england should converge towards the ancient town of chester should suddenly appear there on a given day in february eighteen sixty seven capture the castle seize the arms they found there cut the telegraph wires make for holyhead but a short distance by rail seize on some vessels there and then steam for the irish coast the government were fully informed of the plot in advance the police were actually on the lookout for the arrival of strangers in chester and the enterprise melted away in march eighteen sixty seven an attempt at a general rising was made in ireland it was a total failure the one thing on which the country had to be congratulated was that it failed so completely and so quickly as to cause little bloodshed every influence combined to minimize the waste of life the snow fell that spring as it had scarcely ever fallen before in the soft mild climate of ireland silently unceasingly it came down all day long and all night long it covered the roads and the fields it made the gorges of the mountains untenable and the gorges of the mountains were to be the encampments and the retreats of the fenian insurgents the snow fell for many days and nights and when it ceased falling the insurrectionary movement was over the insurrection was literally buried in that unlooked-for snow there were some attacks on police barracks in various places in cork in kerry in limerick in tipperary in louth there were some conflicts with the police there were some shots fired many captures made a few lives lost and then for the time at least all was over the fenian attempt thus made had not from the beginning a shadow of hope to excuse it every patriotic irishman of whatever party must have felt a sense of relief when it was evident that the insurrection was over and that so little harm had been done there was however much feeling in england as well as in ireland for some of the fenian leaders who now began to be put upon their trials they bore themselves with manliness and dignity some of them had been brave soldiers in the american civil war and were entitled to wear honourable marks of distinction many had given up a successful career or a prosperous calling in the united states to take part in what they were led to believe would be the great national uprising of the irish people they spoke up with courage in the dock and declared their perfect readiness to die for what they held to be a sacred cause they indulged in no bravado and uttered no word of repining all manhood should have deserted the english heart if the english people did not acknowledge some admiration for such men many did acknowledge such admiration freely and generally the newspaper in london which most of all addresses itself to the gratification of the popular passion of the hour frankly declared that the fenian leaders were entitled to the respect of englishmen because they had given such earnest of their sincerity and such proof that they knew how to die one of the leaders colonel burke who had served with distinction in the army of the southern confederation was sentenced to death in may eighteen sixty seven 
a great public meeting was held in st james's hall london to adopt a memorial praying that the sentence might not be carried out among those who addressed the meeting was mr mill it was almost altogether an english meeting the hall was crowded with english working men the irish element had hardly any direct representation there yet there was absolute unanimity there was intense enthusiasm in favour of the mitigation of the sentence on colonel burke and his companions the great hall rang with cheer after cheer as mr mill in a voice made stronger than its wont by the intensity of his emotions pleaded for a policy of mercy it is satisfactory to be able to say that the voice of that great meeting was heard in the ministerial councils and that the sentence of death was not inflicted End of section 14